0: back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. We're talking baseball today as we're talking Pride of the Yankees and Sugar, and to do that, I'm happy to be joined by my friend Adam Lichtenstein, who cares just a little bit about baseball. Adam, how are you doing?
1: (laughs) I'm doing good, and yeah, that's maybe the understatement of the century, (laughs) I say, as I just purchased Out of the Park Baseball 22. I have the baseball prospectus for this year in my sight right now. So, care a little bit about baseball stuff.
0: Wait, is Out of the Park Baseball like I I should have asked you that before we started recording? Is that just like one of the one of the yearly video games that gets released? Yeah, Uh, it's a
1: baseball simulator for PC
0: uh okay i I didn't even hear that i just heard of the different ones that get released on like actual video game consoles and stuff like that so i'm that's that's new to me but yeah so i i I was in a little bit of a dead period where i was trying to before i finished out talking about the oscar movies and adam said hey why don't we talk about baseball because opening day is coming up so i thought it was good and i thought i would suggest uh talking about one baseball movie i'd never seen before and one adam hadn't seen before and the one i hadn't seen before uh was pride of the yankees so we'll start there uh pride of the yankees is a uh 1942 movie uh from director sam wood it uh, tells the story of lou gehrig's life basically and from the time he was like a, a young kid growing up in uh in new york to his time as a college student as Columbia. To his time as a Hall of Fame level baseball player at the Yankees until he ultimately kind of unfortunately met his demise at the hands of ALS, uh, which also became known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And Pride of the Yankees was, was uh, he had to retire from baseball in 1939. And not long after that, towards the end of his life, they obviously kind of decided to make this movie uh, largely honoring him. Uh, and it makes that very clear in the opening subtitles of, or opening title cards of the movies, kind of talking about that. And it just, you know, covers basically his. mean his whole life and it was a uh, very well decorated movie too getting nominated for uh several Oscars and uh winning one and but also like I said garnering it garnering an Oscar nomination for Gary Cooper who portrays Lou Gehrig Babe Ruth also plays himself in the movie uh Adam, the place I want to start with you first is, mm-hmm. because I should say uh, Adam is a uh, very big New York Yankees fan, and that is obviously the uh, central team of this movie, as that is who Lou Gehrig played his entire career for. Adam, if you were just a fan of just, I won't say the Red Sox, but let's say you were a Phillies fan like me, uh, and I know that's a really hard place to put your head in because uh, they have such a really crummy history compared to the Yankees, but let's just say you were. Uh, do you think this movie would work for you, or do you think it's something that's just like, kind of catnip for Yankees fans?
1: Uh, no, I definitely think it would work. I think it's a good movie overall. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an older movie, so some things maybe seem kind of corny or, you know, just old fashioned now, but I think it's a legitimately good movie. It's a touching story. Uh, I think anyone can relate to it. You don't have to be a Yankees fan to enjoy it. Uh, it's a really, Lou Gehrig was a really admirable figure in a lot of ways. So uh, I think it's worth, you know, worth watching. I think it's, a, it would be good. I think it was a good movie, even if I was a Phillies fan or. You know a Marlin's fan or whatever
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I well, what I will say first is that I like that you said it's an old movie because some of them can be corny, and yeah, maybe that can maybe there are certain types of old movies where there can be uh corny things in it that kind of pop up and might rub you one way or the other, and I would say nothing like that really actually bothered me in this movie I really Uh, enjoyed sitting through it and i sometimes even as someone that has been trying to make a concerted effort over the last few years just to uh watch more classic movies i feel like i have a lot of gaps in my filmography from like before 1970 basically and i've been trying to make an effort to do that and i've discovered a lot of movies i really love doing that but also there are certain ways in which movies were made in this time that sometimes they just like might alienate me a little early on in the runtime, or uh, lose me here and there with one thing or another that movies of that time did, and this didn't really have any of that. Uh, though I think one thing I will say, uh, just bigger picture, talking about this movie, is that I think it, I think you know, and I don't know if it's a mistake or not. The movie obviously did pretty well and received all these Oscar nominations and stuff. It like makes it very clear from the outset that like, and just from the title of the movie, like. That they're like kind of titling it, that are kind of targeting it towards Yankees fans because they know that they would just love it so much. They go with the title "Pride of the Yankees." They have this, uh, they have this, these opening title cards where I mean they say that Lou Gehrig quote faced death with the same valor and fortitude that has been displayed by thousands of Americans on far flung (laughs) fields of battle. Which I mean, that was like, all right, guys, you're laying it on a little thick here. And I think it kind of knows what its primary audience is, and they just know these are people that are going to love Lou Gehrig, and we're going to like make them feel good about how much they love Lou Gehrig. And one thing I think that—which is fine, and I, like I said, I still think it's actually a pretty enjoyable movie to watch in spite of that. But one thing I think it almost loses is that it knows it's making it for a bunch of Yankee fans that just know how great of a baseball player he was. And— I mean, this movie expands his whole life, and I feel like if if you didn't know any better going into this movie, I think you might not realize just like how great of a baseball player he was. They talk about how far he can hit the ball, and they talk about his. They they t- show the team having great success, and they talk about him uh having his Iron Man streak, which is obviously like very important. But like you can be an you can be a mediocre ball player or a, just a just just a good straight up good ball player and play for three thousand games in a row. Or- 2100 games in a row or whatever it was so that was one thing i thought during the movie was like wow like it's almost targeting it so much these people that I mean, even me, who's not a Yankee fan. I don't need to be told how great Lou Gehrig was, but I was like, huh, you know, I think it, it is like a, it is like a two hour and 15 minute movie or two hour and eight minute movie. I mean, you could actually like have like probably given a little more context for just like how great he was compared to his time. Uh, you know, Adam and I we were just talking about it before we got on. And I didn't know that he retired like easily second all time in home runs behind, behind Babe Ruth. Uh, I, so that's like a minor critique in the grand scheme of things. But it's just my thinking was, as I was trying to think about my opinions on this movie, was that I think a harsher critic than me maybe at the time might say, like, you know, this is all hagiography. You know, it's just like we're just going to make this piece of this movie here to, like, worship Bouguere. And I wasn't turned off by that, even if there is a kernel of truth in that. But I was like, you know, I do think there are some things here where it's like they were making this for, like, such a specific audience. that it's like, who knows, maybe if someone, like, wasn't a huge baseball fan, they might not have come out of it grasping just, like, how incredible this guy was.
1: Um, Yeah, I just think that in the context of when it was released, you know, we're we're watching it now, Mm -hmm. heck, almost 80 years after it was released. That's a good point, um, yeah. In in context, this was released almost, uh, I think, 12 or 13 months after Lou Gehrig died, Mm -hmm. uh, only three years after he retired. Mm -hmm. Um, And keep in mind that, you know, Lou Gehrig was a star player, one of the best baseball players in the history of the game at that point, when baseball was the most popular sport, maybe the biggest thing maybe in just American culture, even, uh, playing for the most famous team, playing in the World Series almost every year. So like I think what you're getting at, like where you could maybe know get, get a reference more how good of a baseball player he was and why he was so important. Um, but I think a lot of people in the context of when it was released, you know, probably already knew. That's, you know? good, that's a good and,
0: point. There just wasn't, there wasn't as much entertainment. I think like baseball was like an even bigger deal then. So at the time, people might've just like, everyone might've known who he was compared to now how, how many more things we have to entertain ourselves.
1: Yeah. You know, there weren't, you didn't, you didn't have a LeBron James in one sport, a Tom Brady in another sport. And, you know, it's baseball was basically the big thing. And yeah, you know, boxing was big and football was a thing. Basketball existed and hockey existed. But you know, baseball was was monoculture. You know, everyone everyone followed baseball.
0: And I do think the movie does a really good job of, like, making that clear, if nothing else. Just, like, while uh, his mom might not have been in the baseball, though I do enjoy <laughs> seeing how his mom does get into baseball throughout oh, the course yes, of the movie. Right. That is fun. I, I think the movie does a good job of capturing, like, just how just how important it was to people. And you really do get a sense of how it kind of, like, that baseball was more of, I guess, if you want to call it the monoculture or just want to call it just the zeitgeist or whatever— I I did get that vibe throughout watching this movie as much as it is focused on one guy. I think they did a good job of scenes where he is interacting with people outside of his immediate circle or the team of just making you feel like, oh, wow, like these dudes are a big deal in a way that like baseball, unfortunately, just obviously isn't these days, you know? hmm i i will i, I will say we'll say like so i think it did the bigger picture stuff of that well i'm curious if you as someone who i'm sure has read a decent amount about the yankees of this time what do you think of the movie's actual portrayal of Gehrig and it seems like because this is something where they're choosing to honor the guy i'm presuming it's pretty accurate you know uh i, I made that comment about hagiography hey, before but the fact is based on everything i know about the guy i feel like it it seems like there might just not be a thing to like criticize the guy for it seems like he might have been like that kind of good dude uh what is your understanding of like what Lou Gehrig the person was like and how the movie actually did in in capturing him apart from just his overall story
1: I can't say I know you know the extreme details about Mm -hmm. Lou Gehrig's life but as far as I do know Mm -hmm. it's not super far off This, Mm -hmm. this isn't like a Mickey Mantle situation where you know Kids all around the country grew up idolizing Mickey Mantle, and it turned out he was, you know, a drinker and a womanizer and, you know, carousing, you know, all nights, of you know, every night. Sounds uh, like a fun to, guy to
0: hang out with. No? I mean, Mickey <laughs> Mantle might be a very fun guy to hang out with.
1: He's also an alcoholic. It's not great. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, that, that was the whole thing was that Mickey Mantle was this hero, this all-American boy, and it comes out years and years later after he's retired that actually he was kind of doing all these really crappy things, drinking and driving and stuff like that, things that are not good. Um, that was kind of covered up or glossed over because you didn't talk about that stuff with celebrities in the 50s and 60s. But as far as I know, that's not the case for Lou Gehrig. He was kind of that – in contrast to Babe Ruth who who was like that, who was a drinker and a womanizer and grouser and loved the nightlife and the stuff like that, loved celebrity. As far as I know, Lou Gehrig was not like that. He was a faithful husband. He was a – and-
0: According to his Wikipedia, he lived with his parents till He was 30 when he met Eleanor.
1: Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah, I mean, he was a mama's boy. You know, he, he by all accounts, was a genuinely very good person. Uh, I know I read an article about him earlier today, unrelated to this podcast, but just happened to read an article. And it's like up until the very end, like he was asked about like baseball's color barrier. And he's like, there's no room in baseball for discrimination. Like this is our national sport. Like Really? Yeah. Wow, that's that's really, cool. like, I, I'm paraphrasing. But he's like, there's no room for discrimination in baseball. And that was, you know, probably a year or two before he died.
0: I'm pretty sure if you uh, polled some of the other greats that never really had a mic shoved in front of their face uh, on that issue, they might not have given the answers that we would a like to hear. Yeah. A lot of
1: racists.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like Ty Cobb probably gives, like, a lot of guys from before, like, 1940 a lot of cover. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, he's, like, such a notorious racist that I feel like mm-hmm. if there's some other guys that probably just, like, don't get it. So that makes me pretty happy because, I mean, like, I was like, all right, like, I get it. Like, all the stuff about them in the movies probably pretty true because I bet they were, like, it was made by in concert with a lot of people that probably knew the guy, but it's kind of cool to know that wow, he was actually like a good a good man in that regard as opposed to just how he treated the people that were directly in his life. Um, you know I guess he he played his last game a little less than ten years before the color barrier was broken so uh, he wasn't there to see that, but it's cool to know that at least in that regard he was on the right side of history. Uh, have you read much about the uh, the story of uh, the little kid Billy that he hit two home runs for? Uh, because, because as, (laughs) as I'm watching, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh my God, this is like, this is like ridiculous. This is going over the top. Like we get it. He's a good dude. But then I was like, then I was thinking about it as I was watching. He's like, wait, I actually feel like I've heard about something like this before. And maybe this isn't something they totally made up. And then I'm like reading later before in preparation for the podcast, like, oh, it's a possibly apocryphal story. So it seems like it's just one of those things where it's like, we might never actually know if that happened, but it's not totally made up either necessarily.
1: Yeah, I I don't know the exact details. I've definitely heard like that that was like a thing, like mm-hmm. that happened, but I, I don't know the exact details. What I do know, and I did look up on Baseball Reference um, to see it whether or not that actually happened, where you know Babe Ruth hit one home run and Lou Gehrig hit two in a World Series game against the Cardinals. That part's not 100 accurate. The Yankees did play the Cardinals in the 28 World Series, did beat them, and they're one in one game. Lou Gehrig did hit two home runs in. Game three of the 28 World Series, Uh, but Babe Ruth did not home run that game. He actually, in the clinching game the next day, Babe Ruth hit three home runs, Hmm. um, which is kind of crazy there. I think there was, I remember right, I think I saw it on the Wikipedia page for the movie. Um, There was a game in the 1932 World Series, I think, where Lou Gehrig hit two and Babe Ruth hit one. But in the movie, they're playing the Cardinals, which would make it the 28 World Series.
0: Gotcha. Well, either way, it's kind of funny that that it, it's kind of just like stuff of legend, but at the same time, there's like enough there that like you can't like accuse them of just like totally making it up just to like have a movie moment. And good because like it almost makes sense because it'd feel like it'd be like the kind of thing that someone would write for a movie and it'd be like too on the nose, you
1: know. Mm-hmm. I do love that scene though, where he's like, yeah, "Mr. Garrett, can you hit?" Two home runs, two <laughs> home runs in a World Series. Well, you said you could do anything if you try hard enough. <laughs> got
0: me there, kid. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like how he wasn't just like totally like. Yep, you got it, kid. He's like, uh, two it, in a
1: World Series, uh, you crazy.
0: It gave him. It gave him a little bit of pause for sure. um uh, Do you have any? Uh, do you, Do you have any feelings? Well, the other. Well, you know, the other thing I when I was asking you about it was like, you know, about him that I had written down here on my notes was like that they kind of make him out to be a dummy and uh at least at certain points where he's like a little slow in the uptick with regard to uh with regard to the 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 pranks on the train or uh, Mm -hmm. maybe even like uh figuring out like what it is that he even like what is he supposed to do with you thinks he might be into this eleanor person doesn't know how to read her and a couple other things here or there and i was like you know i think it's more just like this guy's just kind of aloof and he's lived a sheltered life and again that led me to think like look this is probably like really kind of true to the man because like again this is like obviously this movie is kind of like a commemoration to him so I wouldn't think they'd be doing anything that would be like necessarily portray him in a negative light I feel like they're trying to just capture his essence so that was just another thought I had and I I wonder if like you had thought that at any point when you're rewatching this and you see uh, him maybe being a little slow at points I
1: don't I don't think that's really painting him in a negative light I think it's kind of uh, painting him as like I don't know bashful bashful or um just like a a good guy. Like when he's dancing with uh with this girl you know, just call it, at a college fraternity party. College fraternity parties in nineteen twenty, very different than college fraternity parties now, um, he's he's being a nice person, he's being genuine, he's being, you know, himself being a nice guy and you know, he gets made fun of for it you know oh. or he's you know he's just a little awkward he's, he doesn't have experience with women and he's just you know trying to be a good person upfront person i guess
0: it was kind of funny on that on that the scene with his fraternity you know I kind of get why they cast those guys the way they did, but that was the oldest looking fraternity I've ever seen. Like,
1: <laughs> well, I was I was saw on the Wikipedia page at least for Gary Cooper. They're like, how is he going to play a twenty year old? He's like forty, right? I guess they just cast out a bunch of fraternity guys who looked old too,
0: right? Because it'd kind of look weird if it's like he's in a fraternity, but he's he's Gary Cooper, and they didn't want to cast a younger person to play that version of him. Because like mm-hmm. I get it, like that's a decent chunk of the movie that's going on when he's in theory under twenty five, and you only have Gary Cooper, you want to just like use Gary Cooper. Not that like I thought Gary Cooper looked like twenty any point in this movie but the guys that they cast the other fraternity members like it was confused it was disorienting at first so i was like they looked even older yeah, than old him old. so i was like <laughs> wait like, is this is like wait they're college like, what they're college students that was just like a, a, it was a thought i had but at the same time i was like i get it like they don't want to like ca- they, they have a movie star on the roster and they don't they, they don't want to sideline him for any more of the movie than the first 15 minutes when it's just like the the seven-year-old 10-year-old Lou Gehrig or whatever mm-hmm. but I, it was just like that was like it just jumped off the screen like wow those dudes look old as shit and then like they're pl- they're being like uh and I get it like you know maybe that's something that would have been kind of true to life if uh Lou Gehrig was having interactions with a girl and being kind of awkward like hey your fraternity brothers might razz you a little bit but these looked like 42 year old guys like uh jo- <laughs> joking joking around like 22 year old boys and I was like oh okay this is like a little I don't know a little bit of weirdness, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Not a, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. I guess we, we talked about we talked about the family a little bit, and I really got a kick out of them. You know, and I thought they. Did a fairly good, tasteful job of showing him figuring out how he was going to handle those last years of his life and uh, how he kind of came to like cope with the disease and kind of feel it. Uh, I know it's different asking you these kind of questions because I just saw the movie for the first time and you've seen it many times before. But I mean, does it does it still move you a little bit? Like I'm sure the final speech does, but how do you think they handle his whole sickness for those last 25 minutes of the movie? Is it does it does it, does, it, does it feel tastefully done to you? I suppose.
1: Um, I think it does. I mean, obviously, uh, the speech at the end is actually a modified version. It's not exact, not the exact speech that Lou Gehrig gave um, mm. at his like appreciation day at Yankee Stadium, but it's still moving. It, I mean, it's a great speech. It, if you haven't actually heard it, I recommend it. you can't actually listen to the whole thing. It's not all recorded, but read it. It's a, it's a really it's known as baseball's Gettysburg Address, and you know for good reason. But yeah, even you know the, yeah the whole the last couple scenes where you know um, his wife comes in and is like. Oh, how are things? And his friend slash sports writer Sam Blake is like, "Oh yeah, he's he's all right. You know, may have to take it easy for a little bit, but he's good." And she's like, "Okay, when's? I can see it all over your face. When? How bad is it? When's he going to die? Uh, I just think it's handled really well. This, you know, the last, the whole last few minutes of the movie are just really handled well. You know, it's, it's it's it. I do think it's moving even after I've seen it for, you know, probably ten times already.
0: Yeah, I was definitely fairly moved. I feel like I've, you know." i've seen that speech i know i feel like i've seen it various places before i don't know if i've seen the clips that you see of whatever actual clips there are of that or if i've seen the pride of the yankee speech because who knows it could easily be the it it could easily be either one so i kind of you know i kind of knew some of the beats of it but i was like there are movies out there about people that have had als before documentaries i don't know if i've ever watched any of them because at a certain point like you only need so much sadness in your life, like, you know, if you know what it is and you support the cause behind it, great. But I just, like, I never really watched that kind of sickness really depicted on screen all that much. I guess, oh, I guess aside from, like, the Stephen Hawking movie or whatever. But still, I was like, this is interesting. How are they going to handle this at a time when, like, no one really knew what this was? I mean, it was was still so new, basically. So it was interesting to see, like, the doctors kind of, like, at least had some grip of that and kind of knew right off the bat. I guess I... They, they named the disease after him, so they obviously kind of had some kind of grasp of it, but at the same time, I I don't know of anyone that really had it before he did, personally. Obviously, people probably had before, but I was like, huh, I wonder, like, how, how are they going to address this? Because as far as I, I guess as far as I knew, like, maybe I didn't even know to what extent he had his long-term, short-term prognosis at the time he gave the speech, because I knew that was in fairly close proximity to when he retired. So I didn't even know going in that, like, it was like a death sentence from the outset for him because I didn't know they knew enough about the disease to give that to him. So
1: it's it's actually, it's actually interesting how much it's kind of up for debate, how much he really knew about his long-term prognosis. So I've just pulled this up on Wikipedia page. Um, Here's a letter he wrote to his wife, quote, the bad news is lateral sclerosis or in our language, chronic infantile, infantile paralysis. There isn't any cure. There are very few of these cases. It's probably caused by some germ. Never heard of transmitting it to mates. There's a 50-50 chance of keeping me as I am. I may need a cane in 10 or 15 years. Playing is out of the question. Oh. So, like, there's kind of a question of how much he really knew, whether the doctors told him. It was also not uncommon for doctors to kind of hide bad news from patients and, like, just maybe tell their loved ones. So it's it's tough to say exactly what he knew. There's also another quote, though, where, you know, after um, what's after he, like, left the Yankees, he told a friend... Uh, about how people wishing him well quote they're wishing me luck and I'm dying so Mm. it's not 100% sure exactly if he actually knew he was dying if you knew that he only had two years left to live if he how bad he knew it was it's it's kind of hard to say he probably knew and especially as things got worse he knew but it's a little bit tough to say
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, they, they they at least made it sound like in the at least for the purposes of the movie, they may they at least made it seem like he he got it he got a pretty bad prognosis from the outset. But I I, I can see why you would do that for the purposes of a movie, and it may, it makes sense to do that for the purposes yeah. of a movie. It's not really taking too too big of a liberty or anything like that. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I feel like the, the actual baseball in this movie is secondary, you know, to mm. everything else that's going on in it. So I don't even really know if there's a lot to analyze. I mean, the, you're, you're, they're a little limited technically with what they can do. I, I, I it was, it was at least interesting seeing. Uh, I guess they probably, they probably actually filmed in Yankee Stadium, but it was cool seeing them. You know, at least like film a movie there when there's only so much uh, actual baseball footage from that time to begin with, necessarily. Uh, so I, I don't know if you have feelings about how they, it captured the game at all because there's not really that much baseball in this movie,
1: you know? Mm. Well, see, it actually was not filmed at Yankee Stadium. I pulled the Wikipedia Really? Page. It was filmed at Wrigley Field, but not Wrigley Field in Chicago, Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, which was home to the Los Angeles Angels of the former Pacific Coast League. I just pulled that up. So yeah, it was not
0: Fielding. That's funny that you say that because it looked kind of like the actual Wrigley Field to me anyway. Uh, at times, but mm-hmm. at, at times I thought I I saw what looked more like Yankee Stadium to me. Like they 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 at least they filmed in a couple different spots at least there, there wasn't like the same stadium for all of them. So that's that's kind of interesting that mm-hmm. they that they that they pulled it off that way. But they, I think they did a good job of doubling it for at least sold me on it being the actual Yankee Stadium for some of mm-hmm. it. So uh, good job by them for on, on that I suppose. But I don't think there's a whole lot to like necessarily break down with respect to actual baseball playing which i think is just an important part of some baseball movies because you want to have actors that you know can like actually look kind of convincing with it but for the purposes of what they're trying to accomplish in this movie all that really matters is that like gary Cooper doesn't look ridiculous trying to swing a baseball bat. Any, apparently
1: you know. he apparently he was actually pretty bad at it, like pretty oh. bad trying to do the baseball stuff. Well, they cut around
0: it enough that I didn't. Ma- <laughs> I'm, not,
1: I'm not. I'm not saying he looked like a Kevin Costner level athlete or anything like
0: that, but mm-hmm. I, I, it, it wasn't like it didn't jump out that like, oh, that's, that's super awkward or anything like that, you know. Uh,
1: apparently, so this is a quote from Wikipedia page. Apparently, major leaguer lefty O'Doul, who is a decent player in his own right, mm-hmm. uh, tried to teach Gary Cooper how to throw left-handed. Quote cooper threw the ball like an old woman tossing a hot biscuit
0: <laughs> i mean yeah the, the th- throwing's i think i don't know throwing's almost a little harder to fake than swinging a bat i think for some people but whatever the, they cut around it fine uh, and again the actual baseball is kind of secondary in this movie even if i i left the movie thing like oh that's weird they didn't really focus on a lot of his like individual accolades necessarily uh i thought that like Again, I thought the rest of the movie was uh, still uh, uh, pretty entertaining, and I think it's definitely like worth a watch if you're just kind of curious to like you know learn about a pretty important figure in baseball. And in my opinion, like you know sometimes black and white movies are not 100% accessible to some people I, I'm not, mm-hmm. i not I'm never deterred from a movie because it is black and white but maybe I used to be and sometimes people can be a little afraid of just like watching a movie from this time but I don't think it really I don't, I don't think it I didn't have any of the hangups I normally do like I said earlier with movies from that time so if you're someone that likes baseball movies or you know someone that likes baseball movies I think you can definitely recommend it to them without like worrying that like they're going to be turned off by just being an 80 year old movie and it's on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime now so it's very accessible do you have any other final thoughts on Pride of the Yankees Adam before we move on
1: yeah, yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool. A lot of players play themselves in this movie. The Most notable is Babe Ruth, who at this point was retired for six, seven years. Uh, apparently, yeah, I think he had to lose weight for the movie. He was really overweight by this point. In, I was wondering in, about that. Like, like,
0: I knew I, I kind of was like, wow, he actually doesn't look like he's in bad shape.
1: Yeah, so that, he was that, I guess, in I, bad guess that, shape. I
0: guess that probably meant a lot to
1: him to be in the movie. Then maybe you know. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. That, you know, because it's it's Babe Ruth. You've got another Hall of Famer, Bill Dickey, a Yankees catcher, who's in the movie uh, as himself. Uh, Bob Musil, who was a really solid left fielder for the Yankees, uh, Mark Koenig, who was a shortstop on the 1927 Yankees, which was, uh, one of the best teams of all time. And w- so I, one, I think it's really, I wonder how they felt about it. Like being in the movie, cause this is, you know, like, only a year after Lou Gehrig died. This is not the distant past for them. This is someone they knew, you know, and they're in this movie about him. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I also, one thing, uh, there's a scene at the very end when, you know, Lou Gehrig is, he's sick, but he doesn't know it yet. And he's performing poorly, And there's a scene where um, one player is like, that old man cost us the game or something like that. And Bill Dickey, the Yankees catcher, punches him. Well, that, that player who gets punched is not credited. They don't say who that is. But you catch his number. He wears number 16. So I'm like, let me see who was wearing 16 for the Yankees in 1939. And there was only one player wearing 16 for the Yankees in 1939. It was a pitcher, Monty Pearson. Not a terrible pitcher in his own right. He was an All Star in thirty six and nineteen forty, uh, but he was pretty bad in nineteen thirty nine. So really, he shouldn't be talking shit.
0: Ah. Well, I, the, the other interesting thing was, I had heard the term "getting getting Wally Pipped" as a verb mm-hmm. before, and I think I knew at one point that it made it might have been in reference to like Lou Gehrig taking his job or something like that. But I didn't like. I, I think I'd forgotten that, and then I kind of got reminded of it in the movie. And I like looked up Wally Pipp's baseball reference just now, and like not he, bad player. No, but he played like a full season in 1924. So it wasn't like he got like benched because Lou Gehrig was better than him and just never played again.
1: Well, yes and no. Lou Gehrig got called up. He played like 24 games over the, like, I think 23 and 24, 24 and 20, 23 and 24 or something like that. 25 was when the actual Wally Pipp thing happened. He got hit in the head with a pitch, and then Lou Gehrig replaced him, and he never played for the Yankees again. Uh, At least not at first base. So, yeah, the timeline's a little fuzzy in the movie. It wasn't his first call-up with the Yankees when, he took over the first base job. He played, like, sparingly the two seasons before that. But it was also... Oh, good 19- point, good point. 20- so, yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah. Garrett didn't actually play that much in 24 either.
1: Yeah. But the baseball minor league system was in its infancy at this point. Like, it was a mix of affiliated teams. It was a mix of um, teams where that were minor league teams but not affiliated with any actual major league team. It's I don't know exactly what the state of the Yankees' farm system was in 1923, but... Um there is there is a little bit of him playing in you know for Hartford in twenty three, you know, when he was first signed by the Yankees, but um yeah, he he played sparingly his first two seasons, only getting into like like I said, like maybe twenty five games total for two over the course of two years. Interesting.
0: Well speaking of uh, minor leagues, that might be a good transition. To uh talk about talk about our next movie, Sugar. Again, we we obviously both recommend t- watching Pride of the Yankees. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our talk about that. And you can't really spoil that movie, so I hope you could you could you, you can listen to it and then just go go watch the thing if you actually are compelled to do so. Because again, it's now very accessible on Amazon Prime. But now we're gonna talk about Sugar, which is uh, about minor leagues. Well, I kind of want to uh head there after we kind of uh, left off on that note because uh, where Lou Gehrig's career got started when that was in its infancy. Uh, I think Sugar is a, an interesting movie to talk about in that context based on honestly when it was uh when it was made but sugar is the 2008 movie from directors uh anna boden and ryan fleck they also wrote the movie it Tells the story of fictional pitcher Miguel Sugar Santos, who is a Dominican uh, baseball prospect who is in the in the in the uh, Dominican Academy for a fictional team, base, Major League Baseball team known as the Kansas City Knights. He you know is kind of living in relative poverty with his family there, but he he signed on pretty early with this team for a fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus, which I mean obviously isn't a lot even compared to what some other people in the uh, Latin America get, though some do sign for much bigger bonuses. It just it just kind of depends on when you're seen and what you sign. Early on in the movie, he uh, learns a new pitch at the behest of his scout, a scout—a knuckle curve or a spike curve. He ends up uh, then getting invited to join the major league camp and start out the season in single A. And we kind of follow his path as we has the ups and downs of being a minor league play a, a player in the minor league baseball system. You know, this movie came out in 2008, Adam, and I feel like even since then, not that like not that minor leaguers ever really had it all that good. But I feel like we've gone through a little bit of a reckoning in minor league baseball the last few years uh, and, and realizing just kind of like how major league baseball doesn't really treat them so hot. And we had – and that that's even apart from the fact the, the discussion we can also have about how like m- the, the kind of contracts that these guys out of Latin America sign. But I think it's interesting because the first time I saw this movie, and I really liked it, was probably within a couple years of when it came out, and I don't think I was as – attuned to some of the larger issues that uh, minor league baseball players might face, especially those coming from another country and have that have a language barrier. But I was like, we've just gone through a couple years ago where like, Major League Baseball was like lobbying for a bill called Save National Pastime, Save the National Pastime Act, where they wanted to be able to pay minor league players below minimum wage, basically. And so this movie took on, like, a whole other level of resonance for me that it didn't even have the first time. So I'm curious, as someone that just watched it for the first time, uh, what were your initial impressions of Sugar, whether they be just, like, informed by—whether they're informed by your baseball fandom as a whole or even just, like, you know, the way—what we've learned about minor league baseball over the last 10 years?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, minor league baseball players, some sign big contracts coming out of high school or college or or out of, you know, foreign countries— a lot of them do not. A lot of them are making very little pay. Uh, you know, conditions are not great. You know, a lot of long bus rides, a lot of, you know, eight people to a three-bedroom apartment kind of thing. Like, it's it's tough and it's it's a grind for minor leaguers. You have to really want it. Um, and then yeah, players coming from abroad have it even tougher because you know as it's you know as we have in this movie, you'll get a guy from you know a Latin American country from the public or venezuela or something and oh where's my first minor league assignment iowa or you know west virginia or somewhere like that where you're a complete fish out of water uh, and i've you know we've had a lot there's been a lot of players um who've been outspoken about it the last couple of years where it's like this is really hard for us where maybe there's one other you know latin american player on the team maybe we know them already maybe we don't but it's it's tough when you know you don't speak the language um i can't remember what what pitcher it is it was a some pitcher He's a major leaguer now, but talk about how like when he was in his first uh, season in the minor leagues, he was playing in Florida and he ordered dominoes like every single day because all he could order and say in English was to order a pizza. You know, so all, we see that in this movie where all these you know, all this guy knows how to do or say it, order at a diner is order French toast. The only item he knows is French toast, which is actually a really touching scene where he's trying to order an egg, um, but doesn't have to say, you know, what he wants, what kind of egg he wants. Uh, in English, and the waitress brings in, you know, an over easy egg, a, a scrambled egg and a sunny side up egg and it's like, this is how we say egg in English is a type of eggs, you know, so, um, it, yeah, overall, it's just it's a, I think it's a really good depiction at a time of, of or a really good depiction of how these players kind of struggle and have a hard time in a time when people weren't really talking about it. I think it's quite stressful
0: at certain parts of this movie, watching just how un- how oblivious people are to the language barrier at certain points. It's mm-hmm. which is, I mean, like, I mean, that's probably part of what they they want you to put you in. That's that as filmmakers, they want you to be put in those shoes because, like, if you're just that stressful watching this guy face that language barrier, imagine how he feels. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: and, and and there are there are scenes where like they're teaching these players English when they're still in the Dominican Republic, but they're teaching them how to th- talk to their manager or communicate in the outfield. Yeah, how to communicate in the outfield or something, not how to order breakfast at a diner.
0: Right, so, yeah, there's all of that, and who knows, like, you know, they have those classes at the academy there, but, like, they don't have those resources once you get to the minors itself, though, mm-hmm. so, like, you you're kind of cut off. I, I should have mentioned when I was giving him my little uh, initial synopsis of the movie. Miguel goes to live with a with a host family when he's at his uh, first single A stop in uh, Davenport, Iowa. Which in actually, this movie filmed on location there. We're just talking about them uh, kind of faking where they filmed *Pride of the Yankees*. They straight up, uh, they straight up went to uh, Daventon and Davenport and Burlington, Iowa, to actually film parts of these movies. And they, he's with this family who at least knows he doesn't speak English, but at the same time, and they actually get a laugh out of there at one point where she says to put the sopa in the sink, not knowing (laughs) that sopa is super Spanish. So I like that a movie that's actually pretty serious and uh, at some points find find space for a few laughs here and there. You know, you mentioned that at the, 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 like a time where not a lot of people were talking about this. And I still think a lot of people probably don't get it. Like as you and I, as people that are online a lot, seeing people uh, pontificate about opinions about baseball and. Give baseball news like we were probably pretty keenly aware to baseball lobbying to pay minor leaguers less than a minimum wage but mm-hmm. i don't think at the average i don't think the average person knows about, gives two thoughts about that they might know a few major league baseball teams off the top of their head but they just think professional athletes make a lot of money and mm-hmm. they might know they might know enough to think that a minor leaguer makes less money than a uh than a major leaguer but not 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 less than a living wage and yeah. on top of that
1: the standard minor league pay is is terrible I, it's i
0: i i I, it's i i honestly like i could i could try and make it up off the top of my head and i'd probably accidentally overshoot it like it's very very
1: low minors if you're if you're not especially if you're not like a bonus baby if you didn't get a big bonus i mean a you know the draft or whatever uh we're talking for low minors your salary is like four digits
0: it's like less than it's like it's like yeah four digits per year yeah yeah and and the thing is like usually you get some kind of bonus if you're a high schooler or if you're uh, an, a, a college junior coming out mm-hmm. the seniors like they don't have no leverage they don't they don't get big bonuses i guess the their consolation is they have a college degree at that point so it's not the it's not the end of the world but hopefully they have yeah. majored in something real but then you have these people like Miguel in the movie who come from the DR and you know you'll sometimes hear people like uh, a Latin American player getting like a big bonus here and there but I mean, I, I, also, I, I, as a Phillies fan, I remember like them always saying about, and, and now in hindsight, it feels really uncomfortable the way people talked about it. But Carlos Ruiz, who was the starting catcher on the Phillies when they won the World Series, he's from Panama and like they talk about oh he signed for $15,000 like it was just like a heartwarming story yeah. that this guy worked his way up from a $15,000 bonus to being the starting catcher on a world series team and he stuck around and made plenty of money but it's like very confusing when you think about it like i mean a lot of these i mean it's 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 part of like why like baseball's become probably less diverse over the years there's a higher percentage of latin american players than there are african american players cuz i think a lot of african american athletes have gravitated towards other sports but you know when you're coming from these latin american countries it's it's like the one thing you know
1: mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 and yet, yeah, as far as the baseball's, di- baseball's diversity situation, it's it's complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. So like you, you, but like some of these other guys, like you know, regular white American people, even if they don't come from a lot of money, they come from more money than probably most. Of, a lot of these Latin American players, and they can maybe somehow afford and have other people in their life that can help them get by and deal with having an, an eight thousand dollars salary or whatever, or more, or, or an easier way to go about finding some other job to supplement their income, I suppose. And just someone from the Dominican Republic, and you have these other guys that come from the Dominican Republic and might just have someone approach them and just basically sign their life to them for fifteen thousand dollars at a certain point. and Mm -hmm. that just is what it is and at that point like not only are you trying to live in America off of that by living with a host family and probably not having a lot of money to spend on other stuff, but they're having to send money back to their family. And they have a huge expectation of that, especially with what their understanding of what a professional athlete should be making. So it's just like, I think the movie is like really smart about how it handles all that stuff. And I don't, I don't know about a ton about these filmmakers. I guess they just happen to, I mean, I I know enough about, I've seen all their movies and I know that um, I think they're pretty decent baseball fans because they're the same ones that directed the 30 for 30 on the earthquake in Oakland during the world series uh so oh they did yeah so was really good yeah so like they they, they're kind of baseball fans as it is and it's interesting you don't know that many like you know they're indie filmmakers like i I don't and that in their other movies besides those two don't really have anything to do with about sports oh mississippi grinds a gambling movie but uh they i mean it's i i just think they got they're really smart with a lot of the details details they got one note that i put down uh, when 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 they're just kind of showing them at the academy in the Dominican, you see one guy walk away in the in 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 the locker room wearing a shirt that says "pony ride parties and petting zoo," and it's mm-hmm. like it's clear he had to get he probably got that shirt as some kind of charity and that came from an english-speaking country or something like that and it's like they're just like a lot of attention to the detail about the living conditions that these people come from and the challenges that they face and i think it's just like i was more just like kind of intrigued by a different kind of baseball movie the first time i saw this movie 10 plus years ago and i was like wow like they really like uh did a good job of paying really really close attention to a lot of the financial struggles that these guys face
1: Mm, yeah and one of the things they mention in the movie is uh the concept of buscones or you know or agents, mm-hmm. where yeah okay you're a, you're a Dominican player, you start playing you're playing baseball your whole life you start getting attention from these agents when you're eight nine ten years old and they basically develop your talent to try to sign you to a major league team, but then they take a big chunk of your contract uh, up to like forty percent sometimes so yeah sometimes players will sign for as much as I think up to five million dollars but these agents. Whose job they have, you know, connections with these major league teams. And they basically direct these teams towards talented players. And they take a big chunk of change for their services. And it's mentioned at one point where one player is like, I think offered 115,000. He's like, he's like, yeah, but you don't have to give 40% of that to my agent, to my Buscona. And then it's like, that's kind of how things go in in, in in i think especially in the dr oh, i think i think
0: i might even miss that in the movies i didn't realize that agents got them on the front end like that i was yeah. I, my my head was almost more to like what's become a bigger talking point the last few years where with guys that make it beyond where miguel did but like these guys that like sign under market deals just to get the financial security and then they're just like locked into them like those uh you know both both the guys on the brave signed early deals mm-hmm. and other guys like that and that that's become a huge talking point as well as in addition to that one former baseball player that had a couple cups of coffee with the Phillies Michael Schwimmer uh started that uh start, started that program where it's like they would front guys cash up front in exchange mm-hmm. for a percentage of their future earnings and uh you know I don't know if that was quite as predatory as it was made out to be when it was first reported but it's still obviously guys that are like you know put in a certain position where they're forced to make choices that like you shouldn't have to make and you know we're kind of talking around the actual plot of this movie where i mean yeah this guy faces a lot of those issues for sure and if he had like maybe we're led to believe that he had some potential at least as a prospect and uh, a lot of the challenges of life kind of knocked him off that track but uh at 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 the same time who knows if 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 he had actually gotten because he actually had some real promise if he had gotten the right advice and had the right agent in his ear at the right time maybe he signs for a lot more money on that first deal and he doesn't feel the same pressure to send to send money back home and he feels a little more secure because maybe a team would have had a bigger investment in him and he would have felt a little more secure in his standing instead understandably after he uh miguel uh, when he gets sent to single a which is a a, a, not a bad stopping point for your first one when you are just coming that, over from an academy. Great. That's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went back and read Keith Law on his blog, wrote a review of the movie like almost 10 years ago and he, he was like, yeah, you know, because Keith Law worked in baseball for a while and he's like, yeah, maybe going from a Dominican academy to single A is not the most realistic thing and I'm acutely aware of that as someone that worked in mm-hmm. baseball but I mean, we're we're they're having to make a movie here. If you're gonna have to stretch uh, credulity in like one aspect or another, that's an okay one to do it just to get this movie to where it needs to be. Because uh, yeah. you know, to you're you're only gonna get to have this kind of experience seeing what it's like in Iowa if you put them in single A because team seasonal leagues just aren't in those parts of the country. And this is the story they wanted to tell.
1: But you Could know, have put them in the New York Penn League. Oh, true. Short A. Uh, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, or, it's, that's not. It's not important. It's, or yeah, or, it's, or it's, going to works. the.
0: Yeah, I forgot. The Phillies had the Williamsport Crosscutters, which are. I think that's in the same uh, league as that one, uh, but. Actually, they might have gotten cut. That was the other thing we talked about. We should have talked about like a bunch of minor league teams got contracted like a year ago, or yep. whatever. They've, uh, they've
1: totally redone how the minor like the minor league system now. It's it's weird but. Because,
0: because because these major league baseball teams cannot afford to pay a, pay an extra minor league team like thirty thousand dollars a year per player or something. That'd be too much. <laughs> but it's they, ridiculous. But you know, at this point in the movie, it's like let's just say he'd uh, if if he'd gotten like a he, he'd gotten like a two hundred thousand uh, dollar bonus or something early on, he he probably isn't like as spooked when he get Miguel gets an injury and all of a sudden like has a couple bad games and then. He probably has some anger issues he needed to work out anyway, but he, like, between that and then having another guy come up and uh, take his place and play better just, like, doesn't know how to react and, like, doesn't really have a real person to, like, talk to is the thing. You know, you mentioned before how you might be the only Spanish-speaking person on a team, and the movie does catch a good moment like that where, like, another one—I think it might be the pitcher that kind of ends up usurping him a little, though, comes in, and he's just excited— excited to see the guy and the manager's like oh that's really nice that you have another guy here like that that you can Mm -hmm. you can be with and so it, it gets that right but who knows if like he'd had a couple other guys to be able to confer with on the team who knows how it could have gone, but it just goes to show, and I think what this movie gets so right is that there's, like, so many things working against these guys that, like, you know, it's it's, it's really a shame because, you know, who knows how much lost talent there is, and that's kind of what the movie gets at at the end, but uh, how else did you feel about, like, just how it, it, it kind of captured the life of a minor leaguer, you know, in a, in a city like that?
1: I mean, I think it, I think it captured it pretty well and there i never played minor league ball but you know from what i've read it yeah have you ever been to, have you ever times. have you
0: ever been to iowa or have you just you seen field of dreams a hundred times
1: <laughs> i've just seen field of dreams a lot so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's as much as i know um Kayla's family my fiance, actually was a host family though for a uh, instructional league so i got oh. a little preview of that um with you know knew a little bit about that life before and being, you know, introduced to it again in the movie. But, um Did Kale yeah, did, no, I mean,
0: did, did ever have a minor leaguer try and put the moves on her, like he does on this nice sweet 18-year-old girl in the movie?
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But, um, yeah, no, like, it is, and there was actually a really interesting article in The Athletic about how, in the wake of the pandemic, how host families who were used to having, you know, minor leaguers in their house were missing having minor leaguers in the house and stuff like that. But that's a whole other tangent um but yeah as far as i know it it does you know these small towns uh where maybe the only thing to do at night is to go catch a baseball game uh a local minor league team and go to the bar you know um Th- that that is what catches well, that by pretty well
0: yeah i'm yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something i meant to talk about you know, my family, we, In I don't know what it's like it, where, where Kayla's from and what kind of minor league team they had near him. Uh, my family's in Pensacola where they have the uh, Blue Wahoos, who are a minor league affiliate. They were for the Reds for the first several years around. I think it might be the Padres now, actually. You know, my dad b- bought season tickets to them just because it was like a thing to do. But like Pensacola has enough else, enough other stuff going on that like I don't think anyone's going to get like super into the blue wahoos like i mean Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. go to games but sometimes we just complain about going to games because it's like you know it's the summer in florida it's hot uh and you gotta so you gotta like kind of uh oh oh, no the double a affiliate for the marlins now actually i shouldn't i should have known that but they uh you know it's like it's it's a thing to do so it was kind of cool and i thought sugar captured that well it's like Hey, if, like, you're, like, in a really small rural town where there's probably less entertainment than you have in a city like Pensacola that's on, you know, one of the nicest beaches in the country, you, you might get pretty invested in them. So, you know, it was interesting. I was, like, I couldn't remember. I, like I said, it had been a while since I watched the movie. So I'm not just, like, watching these old white people that are in, like, a rural area. I'm, like, oh, are they going to be, like, super insensitive to these kids? Uh, I, I don't exactly know. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and and more like uh, incidentally and uh, uh, more it was more I almost call it more obliviousness than like total insensitivity. But like they were better than I thought, especially when he needed someone to embrace when things got really bad for him. I was like, oh, this is this is sweet. I I almost expected this to go in a much darker, uh, much Mm -hmm. darker, much darker direction. So I was like, oh, wow, this is like really, you know, they don't send that much of the movie there. The movie has this detour that we'll talk about to New York earlier in the movie than i remembered i i just didn't remember it taking that long to or him going in that direction as early in the movie as he did so it's not as much of the movie as i had remembered but i felt like i had a, a pretty good sense of that town and like uh what that team actually meant to them which is which is interesting i don't i don't i didn't really have a point of reference for it
1: mm. and i will say this on the earlier point like yeah there are definitely places where there's less to do and people do support these teams you know i know like we're my fiance is from in north carolina it's not a it's a small city it's not you know a super rural area but like they had an like i said an instructional league team which is not even affiliated minor league baseball it's you know college players looking to work on their game basically drew decent crowds had merch had stuff to do i have a fanville swamp dog shirt um swamp dog have, that's a good name yeah it's a really good name and they played like in a you know not like a fancy stadium or anything but nice little park and you know they probably drew few hundred to a thousand people a game or so maybe I'm guessing Mm -hmm. Uh, and then yeah, they have a minor league team there now and that you know is relatively popular Fayetteville Woodpeckers have one of their shirts too so yeah there's definitely places where minor league baseball is important to the, the communities
0: what did you think about when the movie makes that turn and he decides he's going to quit and goes off to New York? Because I bet as you're watching this for the first time, I knew that was going to happen at some point, but did, did you think this movie, did you get the, what did you think about how that was set up? Did you go into this movie assuming that this is going kind to of have a happy ending and he was going to just like yes. end up making the majors and how, how, how did it strike you as like, or, oh wow, like we're, what are we doing here? What did you think about that turn in the movie and how it ultimately like uh, resolved itself?
1: It hurt. It hurt. Yeah. I, I definitely thought movies and if not with him making the majors, and at least him like on a positive note going yeah. back to the team. You know, going back and finding his fastball again or something. I don't know something like that. But like I'm sitting there, yell like almost like yelling at the TV, like get on the bus, not, like get back on the bus. Like things have not gone that bad for you. you no, know? yeah, you got hurt, but you're in your first season of like minor league baseball. You're not a bad pitcher. Just like you got a bu- you had a couple bad starts. Like get on the bus. You're fine. Like, a team is not inviting you to single A out of an academy if they don't have faith in you. Just <laughs> get back on the damn bus. Like, you're fine. You know, you're not going to walk out of baseball after half a season like that. But I was, I'm i sitting there waiting. You know, his mom is begging him, like, you have to go back. The team's looking for you. He calls his mentor, who's like his uncle, and it's like, like look, I can – he's like, look, I can make – I can smooth things over. They You know, we can make it okay again. Just go back. And I'm like – he's going to go back. Right. And he just never does. And I'm like screaming at the TV.
0: Yeah. And, and like, like we talked about earlier, they didn't have that big of an investment in him. So the fact that they were like willing to like go to those lengths for him, you're just like, come on, man. Like, uh you're pretty lucky that like all things considered you could potentially just go back and uh still make this thing happen and you know, I think it goes to like what we were saying before about how these guys just don't have a lot of resources. Uh, and it, it they, wasn't even
1: like he hurt his arm. He didn't hurt his arm. He hurt like, his foot. <laughs> he hurt his foot. That's fine. He had Tommy John surgery, not like he had a bum shoulder. Like he could still pitch. You still throw ninety five, it doesn't just come around every day.
0: Yeah, well, he wanted to go uh, try and make furniture, and uh, I, you know it's interesting. I feel like uh, we're led to believe that maybe someday that 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 guy will give him a job making furniture, and maybe he'll be happy. He needs to, he needs to get himself a goddamn visa. I don't want him getting in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I think it's it was frustrating because it wasn't like he had like a totally legitimate injury. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of guys like him. Maybe not guys that go off to live as like illegally in the country but like guys mm-hmm. that like you know for one reason or another wash out way earlier than they should because
1: oh for m- sure. minor
0: league baseball just doesn't really have the infrastructure to support these guys mm-hmm. that it should
1: for absolute uh it's absolutely true and i i'm sure that's true like and it's actually we we're talking about uh, ken burns's documentary earlier uh, mm-hmm. before we started recording and the last episode of the original nine part documentary starts with one of these leagues in new york where these you know these latino players who've kind of washed out of the majors who were never quite good or washed out of the minors who were never quite good enough or were never quite good enough to catch on where they're just playing because they still love the sport but i know at one point in the documentary it mentions like some of these people these players they they actually don't play anymore they can't play it's too painful for them to 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 do it anymore because they they had their dreams shattered so it's like i thought it was interesting because like we were i just finished watching that documentary like last week and we were just talking about it and it ends with, you know, him playing in one of these semi-pro leagues where it's like all these players who, you know, washed out of the minors.
0: Hmm. I, I figured that part of the movie at the end was based in some sort of fact, but I didn't realize that. Like, that makes me, more, makes me more curious to go watch the, to watch the Ken Burns thing, which Adam has uh, strongly recommended to me, and I'm sure he would to any of you that uh, really care about baseball at all.
1: I... It's just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I've, I, you know, it's, it's almost like hard for me to like get super invested in the baseball as long as like the Phillies are as like thoroughly mediocre as they've been in recent years. But, uh, you know, knows? Maybe it'll like reignite a little bit of the passion for the game that like I feel like the Phillies being so sorry for so long at this point have like <laughs> kind of lost. I mean, they, they've made the, they're growing up. This will be, if they don't make the playoffs this year, it'll be 10 straight years. I mean, which was honestly is not much compared to what it was before they won the division in two thousand seven, but it's just, I mean, it, it, it's just been a rough go of it. Uh, do you have any? Uh, we didn't even really give a little bit of do yet to uh, the actor that plays uh, the, the actor that plays Miguel. His name is Alhines Perez Soto, and you know he never really went on to do like a whole lot of acting. I think he still they, they found him in the Dominican. They just found him like they just kind of approached him while he was playing baseball with his friends and interviewed him and. In, they interview 500 other people, and they decided, hey, we want this guy to play. And, you know, I remember thinking at the time that I watched the movie for the first time, uh, wow, like, I don't really—this guy's fine, but—I shouldn't say wow. I remember thinking the first time I watched this movie, like— this guy's okay at acting, I guess. He's not really having to do a lot because this guy's not really saying a lot in this part of the movie, where he's just like kind of battling against this uh, this language barrier. Uh, but he's actually pretty charismatic in the scenes in the DR, which I think is by design, where it's like you really see what he's like before he is is th- thrown into this fish out of water situation. And um, I think he does a pretty good job of acting. It is also Andre Holland's uh, mm-hmm. first ever uh, role, and I mean, you guys Super might prospect. Yeah, yeah. He, he plays a guy from Stanford who, I guess, is a second baseman and uh, is, is, is pretty friendly with uh, M- Miguel before he gets moved up to AA. And it was his first ever film role. He, he, he pretty quickly uh, went on to act in other stuff, but you, might, you guys might know him more from, like, uh, The Nick or uh, Moonlight or um, uh, just other things but i i I, th- I think i'd forgotten he was actually in the movie and then i was like oh that's andre holland uh, and i i guess it was kind of like his uh first big break i he, he played wendell smith in 42 i guess it's the sports writer that was uh pretty involved with jackie robinson so it's kind of funny mm-hmm. i meant to ask you i didn't know that was the one thing i forgot to ask you about pride of the yankees i couldn't remember if that's i meant to ask you if that sports writer character was uh actually a real sports writer or just like kind of i don't so i don't happy.
1: think so i think he's an amalgamation or you know fictional right. character and I actually
0: to, not to backtrack too much that movie for a second but like I was like I'm curious if that guy is like a real guy that he befriended but at the same time I, it's 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 worth doing an amalgamation in a movie of that time with a sports writer because like the, the relationship between writers and athletes at the time was just totally different uh, mm-hmm. but yeah uh, Andre Holland uh, if, you, if you're if you looking for another sports movie to watch I highly recommend High Flying Bird on Netflix um, we're talking about the ways uh, athletes, uh, the economic struggles athletes face and that's a pretty good one and Andre Holland teamed up with Steven Soderbergh for that but yeah i i enjoyed his performance i'm curious what you thought of the manager in this movie because i th- th- i had no recollection of that and i was like i mean all things considered if you're gonna get like a a white guy with that demeanor having to uh figure out how to deal with like uh guys coming over from the dominican at a challenging time it seems like it might be like the best case scenario if you're having to get some kind of older tough looking white guy you know and i was an int- i thought it was an interesting performance you know
1: mm-hmm. well first off shouts to michael gaston or gaston who also plays uh Gray Anderson in Jericho, which is a show I absolutely adore. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, I'm like, oh, sh-. I'm like, oh, shoot, it's it's Mary Anderson. Um, But and so if you haven't watched Jericho, go watch Jericho, too. It's on Netflix. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I kind of agree with you. You know, he did a good job where he plays that kind of tough, gruff. I've been here for 20 years. I've been playing baseball or in baseball since I was 10 years old. And now I'm 50 and I'm a lifer and I'm managing this, you know, single A team in Iowa now um kind of vibe i think he does a pretty good job at it but also but he's not a total jerk he's like i he empathizes with miguel and says like look i've been in your situation before i've had rough times before like you gotta channel your energy into doing this if you really want it and uh so i think he does a good job of yeah like i said kind of playing that persona but not making it one-dimensional yeah it's not it
0: doesn't turn him into a, a caricature of just like some uh, gruff manager necessarily. Uh, and I, I just really, it was, it was just a character that was minor enough that I wasn't going to remember him 10 years after watching the movie. I remembered the family and, and I remembered him and, uh, and, and, and that, and that was about it. So I, I, I appreciated the, um, uh, just having a, a presence like that in this movie. Cause that's like a, you know, these guys have that language barrier and like, I mean, you know, ideally, more more white players in baseball would speak Spanish. Uh, I feel, I, I, but I mean, it's just it is learning a language is an easier set, easier thing to. It's much easier said than done. To like I think. I shouldn't say that like I mean if, if 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 us stupid white people could like put it to our minds I'm sure more of us could learn another language but it's 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 it, you know English is so prevalent it's something that's like more forced upon people from other countries whereas like we don't have any one particular language necessarily like that it, we're, we're kind of immersed with in the same way as a possible second language so it's like it's just not gonna it's just unfortunately not gonna happen even if you would like more uh more of our uh the gringos around these parts to make an effort with the uh with, with their Spanish-speaking counterparts that come over across so it's just like I'm sure that's like a very common dynamic in baseball is to like have these just like 45 year old white dude that might just like that's has to deal with a guy that like has only taken rudimentary English lessons to talk baseball terms. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought it was a sensitive way to portray that uh, what is probably a pretty common trend, and uh, it did a, it did a pretty good job of that. And I, I I don't know I just picked up on a lot more details on this watch. Like I was saying, whether it be like the the food thing, which I. I I, you know, I thought, like, oh, I could easily see that happening, but I didn't realize that, like, uh, you had even seen another example of it yourself, or uh, or, or, or even like the, just a lot of the smaller interactions this guy has or the host family thing. It's like, clearly these people did their research and they did a good job of capturing what this experience could be like. And I, I, honestly hadn't even thought of it until I, we were talking how like, oh, wow, he might've gone into this expecting something happy. And, uh, unfortunately it doesn't have quite a happy ending to that extent, though you can, like I said, you can envision a way in which Miguel's life turns out. Okay. But I think that like, unfortunately it's still probably fairly true to life. So, um, do you have any other final thoughts on Sugar, Adam, before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, okay. One thing, real quick, uh, shout-out to Jose Rijo who plays Alvarez. Uh, Jose Rijo was a pretty good pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds uh, oh, in I, the I, early I, 90s. I didn't know that. Yep, he was—I I don't think he won a Cy Young Award, but I think he won a World Series with the Reds uh, in, like, 1990. He plays Alvarez, who I believe runs the, uh, the Academy in the beginning of the movie. Huh. Um, so I have that one small nitpick I had. There's a scene where he's like he meets up with another player at like the gym or something and like the player gives him pills to take and is like don't mention this you didn't get this from me and I think it's, assu- it's supposed to be assumed that they're like PEDs and like the next scene is Miguel like, striking out batters and I'm like that's that's not how steroids work. <laughs>
0: I, I, yeah, I think well I feel like they wanted us to think he was taking steroids cuz steroids is like the term yeah. that most people know but it it's like
1: PEDs or whatever but but,
0: but I, it'd be like more realistic if they were like uppers but, yeah. like, uppers, I don't know. Like, that's not really how that would work. You know, it's not like yeah. he was, like, it's not like he was dealing with fatigue either. And that's kind of a, yeah. like, what they're it's more just like, used
1: of for. PEDs are not going to help you throw a better curveball. They help you, you know, work out longer and recover faster. But that's just a little nitpick. And then. By, by the way, Jose Rio,
0: World Series MVP. I just looked that up in you 1990. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. he did have a pretty big moment in 1994, All Star.
1: Mm hmm. And then, yeah, one other thing, um, just to tie everything together, yeah. um, I think that it's really interesting that you've got. We did this totally unintentionally. We just picked movies, you know, one that you hadn't seen, one that I hadn't seen, but they're both kind of immigrant stories. You've got Lou Gehrig as Mm. the child of immigrants, uh, whose parents want the best for him. They want him to go to college. They want, I mean, granted, this, you know, takes place a hundred years almost before Sugar takes place, but they want him to go to school, make something of himself. Like, and he's like, no, I'm going to play baseball. Um, And he ends up becoming a, you know, superstar and, you know, being able to provide for his whole family, and et cetera, et cetera. But that's one type of immigrant story. And then you've got Sugar about you know a young pitcher who comes to America to play baseball, and it doesn't succeed for him, and he has to struggle with being an immigrant in the United States trying to play baseball. It was not intentional on our part, but I found that interesting when I was watching part of the Yankees yesterday. I'm like, oh, this is both a story kind of about immigrants.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think uh, also America probably makes it easier on the white Emirates. Uh So, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, rings a bit true in uh, that regard too. But uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend people watch Sugar. It's like a very under the radar movie. Like we just don't get a lot of sports movies these days. You know, I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of sports stories have already been told. So I don't think they they just don't get made quite as often. And uh, I, there's not that many that make a ton of money. So it's harder to get it made. If you're gonna do it, it probably usually is gonna be on a small indie budget like this one is though. It's impressive that they got to like film on location in random places movies don't normally film and they, they got it done on that kind of budget. So, I mean, I think that even if someone's not a huge baseball fan that's going to necessarily appreciate some of the smaller baseball specific, if you're not, even if someone's not a big baseball fan that's not going to appreciate some of the more specific details that people like Adam and I might pick up on, I think you can still appreciate the movie nonetheless. Like I did when I watched it when I was in my like early 20s or late teens, uh, because there's just it's 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 a pretty like You know, on a a human level, I think you can empathize with this character, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, I absolutely agree. Adam, uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to plug? Anything you've been watching recently? Anything else you want to shout out before we sign off?
1: Um, yeah, I mean like I said I've been watch I watched Ken Burns baseball. I was joking that it's like uh my my <laughs> training where I get ready for baseball season by rewatching Ken Burns baseball documentary and reminding myself why I love this sport so much, even though it's so dumb. Yeah, I mean, that's really I finished watching that. Um I don't think I'm really watching anything closely now, I'm just watching March Madness and stuff. Um but yeah, you can you know, I'm just excited for baseball season. You can find me tweeting about That's what I was gonna say. If you, wanted- if you wanna if you wanna
0: follow if anyone wanted to follow you to see your yes. uh, opening day thoughts, where can they do that? I
1: I'm taking a PTO day. I have to sit around and watch baseball all day on on Thursday. That's my plan. So you can follow me on Twitter at A.B. Lichtenstein.
0: Yeah, so one movie that I will recommend uh, before we sign off is uh, one that I mentioned to Adam last week, but I I have now since watched it, called Collective. It got nominated for the Oscar for both Best Documentary and Best International Feature. And it's a a Romanian film, a documentary about a – which all I knew going in was that it was about a – about a sports newspaper that un- uncovered a big story that was all i knew but it was a big non-sports story about corruption but i didn't know anything else and uh it's it is that that's kind of what the movie's initially about where this somehow the sports newspaper uh stumbles on to like a lot of possible like fraud with like products that are being provided to hospitals by manufacturers and uh because there's like a big uh there's a big a uh, fire explosion at a club where there's a, like a music show going on and like you know 27 people die from that but then like another like or maybe 37 people die from that or 27 but then like another 37 people die in the hospital that like had injuries from the thing but not life-threatening but like they realize it might have been problem with like the disinfectants that were used in the cleaning of the the hospitals that then caused the uh patients to get more infected so it turns into an investigation of this manufacturing company but also then the government oversight of it but also just the government oversight of like the hospital system in general and it kind of shifts into like something where it's more closely looking at the department of health in romania and how corrupt it is and It's just like a, if you, if you think you might enjoy watching, like, kind of like an investigative documentary that's Verite style that follows both the newspaper, but also gets a lot of access into like a foreign country's corrupt Department of Health, you can't help but, like, you know, uh, it can't. You can't help but think about how it's a little timely because it really turns into a country that's like facing a bit of a health crisis because their hospitals just aren't good enough, and you're seeing a government, how the government reacts to that. Where we've had our own health crisis in the world. Like the this, the, the events in the movie take place around 2015, 2016. Uh, so then. You know, we're in the world now. We've had our own health crisis for about a year. The government that's, um, you know, had its own fair share of corruption, that it's uh, and incompetence that it's had to deal with. So, if you feel like watching some kind of parallel story to make you feel like America's not the only one that has its issues with regard to the <laughs> the healthcare system, I recommend Collective. And then you can say you've watched like uh, something that's nominated in two different Oscar film categories. So. Uh, and it's on hulu now so you can uh watch it there as usual everyone i'm josh Chernovoy, j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on both twitter and letterbox and uh podcast twitter is at rewind movie pod podcast email is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com uh coming up next we'll probably have an episode on uh godzilla versus kong uh but and, and maybe the father too to round out our oscar winners and yeah and we'll be i guess kind of getting up to date on uh, some of the 2021 releases that are coming out because I think the father is the last 2021 I want to talk about so everyone thanks to Adam for joining me thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time